0: Hello, and thank you for joining us today. I'm Susan Elder. I work at Joint State Government Commission, and today we're going to be talking about Senate Resolution 47. This resolution was introduced by Senator Kristen Phillips-Hill and deals with the topic of high-speed broadband services in our Commonwealth. Before I go any further, I'm here with Glenn Passowitz, our Executive Director, Yvonne Hirsch, the Project Manager, and Brian DeWalt, who worked on the study. Glenn, Can I turn this over to you to say hello and introduce the commission?
1: Thank you, Susan. Let me start. I'll give a quick introduction about uh, who Joint State is and how we work. The Joint State Government Commission is the bicameral, nonpartisan public policy research and statutory research agency for the General Assembly. This means that the commission works at the direction of both the House and the Senate by writing reports on nearly any topic that the members want to learn more about. The projects are assigned to the Commission through resolutions adopted by either chamber and typically take between 12 and 18 months to complete. Examples of the variety include exotic wildlife school nurses and the recently released report on broadband Internet access across the Commonwealth. The resolutions frequently direct the Commission to appoint advisory committees of experts to guide in whatever area is being studied. The committees meet several times during the course of each project, while the commission staff facilitates the meetings and handles the reports, research and writing. Reports often include proposed legislation drafted by staff. At the conclusion of each report, it is released to the legislature. The goal is to provide enough information so that legislators can make informed decisions about the issues being addressed. And with that, Susan, I think we can get started on our topic of the day.
0: Thanks, Glenn. Yvonne, can you give us a little bit of a framework or background on how this resolution was actually set up?
2: This was one of the studies in which an advisory committee was appointed, and we had a group of individuals, both state government, internet service providers, representatives of various industries, representatives of um, consumers, a, a pretty broad base of people interested in broadband Deployment and development. And we have had several meetings, had to go to conference calls and internet thanks to uh, COVID, but we've been able to continue meeting. And the report we released this summer is one of what potentially will be five reports. This is a longer term study. Hopefully, we'll continue exploring what Pennsylvania can do to improve broadband across the commonwealth.
0: Thank you. To dive right into it, why do low population areas have difficulty accessing broadband? There are really
2: a couple of issues that play into that. For one, it's not necessarily uh, economically um, feasible for providers to expand their networks to reach very small, scattered populations of people. You also have one of the aspects of Pennsylvania that makes it a great place for tourism, and that's our geography. And so you have um, mountains, you have our ridge and valley um, topography in the central part of the state. And that makes it very hard for some of the internet services to reach low-density areas. You you either need a pole, you need underground cable. In some cases, you need line-of-sight radio signals in order to be able to connect with satellites. You have issues of latency, which is how slow it takes for the signal to get to the provider, and weather will interfere with that. So what makes Pennsylvania a very diverse commonwealth also makes it hard to get to all of those areas, but certainly the economic rewards for running what can be extraordinarily expensive underground cables or pole attachments just makes it hard for there to be any return on investment for a private company to go out there.
0: On a real basic level, can you explain to us the distinction between fixed and mobile broadband and maybe how that came into play in the resolution, in the report?
2: Broadband relies on a fixed infrastructure. It runs through telephone poles. It runs through underground cables. It's the primary way it's delivered right now. A lot of the telephone lines kind of followed the electric lines, and the cable lines are following those lines. So you have you have that issue also with cellular service. They're still tied to those fixed lines. They may be wireless signals from radio tower to radio tower, from cellular tower to cellular, but then they have to access the fixed lines to get get to the homes. So fixed tends to be the larger part of it. There is, if you may have heard on the news or whatever with both Amazon and Elon Musk's proposals to do these low level satellite projects that would put thousands of satellites in low orbit, which would theoretically improve the access and the ability to send those signals back and forth in a truly wireless way. But it all basically still has to end up connected to some kind of fixed cable to be able to get it where it needs
0: to be. Why is it important to define a state broadband speed? Well, it's kind of uh, tied to
2: the evolution of of technology, really. You have Pennsylvania's current speeds, which really only apply to uh, uh, telephone companies um, because of the way the the statute is written, are, um, are very low. We included in the report the FCC guidance on how much speed you need to be able to engage in different activities. And as you get up to, um, and again, something we've really seen with COVID, if you get where you have multiple users using multiple devices at the same time, you need that broadband of width to be able to adequately let everyone access. Pennsylvania's statutory rates are very low. The FCC has said they would like the rates to be more in the, well, their current definition of high-speed broadband, and, and that triggers federal funding, is 25 and 3, and the um, that it downloads 25 megabytes per second, and it uploads 3 megabytes per second. So when you're pulling something down on your computer, comes down very fast. Uploading is a little slower, but there has been agitation in the past and, and continues to go on to raise those numbers to 110. And a lot of the smaller providers in Pennsylvania currently don't have that capacity to go that high. They're, they're, getting that, they're getting the state minimum. But on, on the other hand, uh, there's been, in the past year, a lot of upgrading going on, that companies are expanding their bandwidth and providing more access. So we're moving in the right direction. Part of the problem is deciding what is the perfect speed. Because for grandma who does online shopping and keeps her bank records on her computer and maybe does a telehealth thing um, once a month with her doctor, doesn't really need that much speed on a daily basis. Somebody with three college students doing um, online classes from home, with parents working from home, they need lots of speed. So part of it is,
0: and it's, some of it's tied to demand. You, you mentioned the FCC. So Yvonne, what role does the FCC play in Pennsylvania's broadband policy?
2: For access to federal funding, complying with the FCC numbers is very important. They do not 100% dictate what we do in Pennsylvania. Um, in general, yes, because you have telecommunications, is um is really an interstate commerce issue, and so the federal government has every interest in being involved in that and making things uniform like well like with the poll attachments, there have been complaints in the last few years that if there's a dispute between say an electric company that has Poles or a telephone company that has polls that a cable company wants to access to run lines, and they get into a dispute, and it ends up at the FCC, and they have to work it out. And that's a very slow, ponderous process, and it really slows down deployment. So Pennsylvania took authorized step to do what's called reverse preemption and to come in and say, we are going to handle those kind of disputes ourselves. We're not going to leave them up to the FCC anymore. We're going to bring them back in-house and, and we'll address them ourselves with the idea of increasing the speed of the resolution and being able to work agreements out between local companies with more of a state and local perspective to it. So they they don't run the show, but like with a whole lot of other things with the federal government, It's not so much a mandate that you must do, but it's a mandate if you want our money, you must do.
0: So we were just talking about the FCC. Where does that leave the PUC? What role does the PUC play in broadband development? The PUC
2: has a bit of a limited role in Pennsylvania. Their jurisdiction when it comes to telecommunications is really limited to the telephone companies. They're responsible for telecommunications carriers who are offering broadband. So their role in broadband really comes with regulating those providers. So you can be an internet service provider and offer internet service through a means other than the telephone lines. And if you're not offering telephone service, like along with your cable service, then you're not going to be regulated by the PUC under their broadband regulations.
0: Can you explain a little bit about why it's so difficult to identify which areas of the state have poor broadband coverage? Well, there are a couple
2: of issues with that. One is that mapping is not ideal. Most people including the uh, FCC, rely on the FCC mapping. And those maps look at census blocks. And a census block, they're defined by population. So if you look at an urban area, maybe half a dozen city blocks would be a census block. But if you're in a rural area, the census block for the same number of people could cover several hundred square miles of an area. And if there's one carrier offering in that census block, that census block is considered served, especially in these rural areas where there's one carrier, it's a huge geographic area, and you are facing Pennsylvania's topography with the mountains and the valleys and the ridges and the inability for signals to get from place to place you're going to see an area declared as covered, but in fact, there will be pockets all over that area where there isn't broadband service because either they're too far from the initial carrier and the signal can't get to them that way, or the geography interferes with the ability to get the signal out to them. Some people have been trying to do uh, surveys of customers to try to figure out what people actually have in their homes. The uh, state, I think it was Georgia, did a huge broadband initiative, and they went from community to community surveying people to find out where the broadband limitations are. It was a multi-million dollar project, but they were able to come up with their own mapping system that identified more of these areas that didn't have high-speed internet. The large part of it is everybody relies on the FCC maps, which are drawn from the internet service providers provide information to the FCC in their reports, and then the FCC creates the map from those reports. But the fundamental thing is they're counting an internet service provider Per census block as being covered, and that just doesn't always turn out to be the reality.
0: Thank you, Yvonne. We are going to wrap up today and continue this conversation in the next episode, where we will discuss state and community responses to broadband. The music in this podcast is by Joseph McDade. If you're listening and you'd like more information either about Joint State or this study, please check out our website at JSG dot L E G I S dot state dot P A dot U S. Thanks and have a good day.